0: turn with me to the book of Matthew, the 20th chapter. If you do not have a Bible, raise your hand and Doug will uh, find you and bring a Bible to you. Uh, But go ahead and turn with me to the book of Matthew, the uh, 20th chapter. We're going to start with the 29th verse of Matthew 20. You are. Let's have a word of prayer together as we get started. Heavenly Father, (laughs) uh, we just pray uh, for this part of the walk as we are on the death march with Jesus, um, um, joyfully accepting the sufferings of Christ, realizing that the sufferings of Christ that are still lacking are the privilege and honor that we get to walk in the footsteps that you have put in front of us. And that, Father, that that is what actually is proving to us, at least in part, our true walk with you. Father, continue uh, to lead us so that today we'll have true sight in our hearts. We love you and we trust you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. As we go on this walk together, uh, we realize, and, and for a pastor, uh, it's, it's always very humbling to realize that uh, that there is something that that a pastor cannot do. And uh, I know that the apostle Paul prayed about this in uh, Ephesians one when he said, "You know that the eyes of their heart will be enlightened." Um, I could tell you a lot of truth from God's word. I can share my own heart with you of what I have seen true. But there's a point in time when your heart has to open up and has to see Jesus for who he really is so that your life can be changed and transformed from the walk that you've been on since the day of your birth, a walk that has been away from the Lord, to a walk that is walking um, in, in concert with him, being drawn by his heart, to live a life that's impossible without him. You have to have true sight. Your, li- your heart has to be opened up to true sight. And what a great example of this in the passage that we are reading here together today uh, as, we talk, as, as Jesus was walking along uh, to Jerusalem. And along the way, And we realize that he has come down from Galilee and has walked alongside of the Jordan and now has crossed the Jordan and has walked five miles west of Jordan to the city of Jericho, which is hugely significant if you know the history of God's word. And so why don't we read these uh, few verses together as we see an encounter that he has along the way. Instead, starting the 29th verse of Matthew 20, As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Now, this passage parallels two other passages uh, the book of Mark, the 10th chapter, the 46th through the 52nd verse, and Luke 18. Uh, the 35, uh, 35th through the 43rd verse. You know, sight has, has been an interesting thing. Um, I remember as a kid growing up, uh, I heard a song by a, by a uh, singer by the name of Johnny Nash that said, I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. Gone are the dark clouds that had me blind." It's going to be a bright, bright, sunny day. Such a good picture of salvation. Such a great picture of the fact that every single one of us were born with obstacles in our life. Things that kept us from seeing Jesus clearly. And yet, because of salvation, the blinders have been taken away. And we get to partner with Jesus on our life to clear all the obstacles that have been continuing to be in our way. Another significant event as I thought about this passage was about a couple of years ago. I was talking to my son who's an optometrist. And he said something to me that I will never forget. He said, Dad, he said, I came to the place of realizing if I correct the sight of somebody with glasses or with contacts, what good does that do if they can't see Jesus? And uh, and my son has grabbed a hold of a real truth. In his life. Life transformation begins when a person sees clearly in their heart who Jesus really is. They can have 20-20 vision visually, but if they do not have a heart that has been enlightened to the truth of who Jesus is, they are still blind. In fact, Jesus himself says this, For judgment I have come into the world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. As we study this passage contextually, we realize that Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. He's, Like I said, he's come north, come down the Jordan River from Galilee, and now he's crossed the Jordan River and is in Jericho, which is about five miles west of the river. In verse 29, it says that as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho... Now, if you're a study of God's Word and you've actually done some cross-reference study, you realize that, um, that in this passage, um, it, in the two parallel passages that it goes alongside, it says that they were um, that they were come. They came to Jericho. Now, some people and some commentators go, well, "How can in one passage it says that they were leaving, and the other passages it says that they were coming to?" Well, the reason is, um, is probably because of the fact that uh, Jericho has two locations. There is the old ruins of Jericho that uh, were with the Israelites had, um, uh, had destroyed on God's command when they crossed the Jordan similarly to where Jesus crossed in Joshua 6. And then the rebuilt Jericho was, if you remember... Um, uh, the city, after it had been destroyed, was cursed uh, by God and said that if anybody rebuilds the city, they will lose a son on the rebuilding of the, fo- of the foundation of the walls and will lose another son on the setting of the gates. And that's exactly what happened in 1 Kings 16 when Hael of Bethel rebuilt uh, the, uh, the city. And so there are two locations of Jericho today. And that is why in um uh, in these sites that um that one one could say that he was leaving, and the others too could say that he was coming too and so they're not contradictory; uh, they're actually showing from their own vantage point point. and if you remember in in reviewing of scripture um it's always important to realize that that the prophets, through the Holy Spirit, were recounting what they saw when they were with Jesus. And so uh, forensics would tell you that actually, these aren't contradictory statements, but they're actually proof to, so, to say that they're actually um, true profession, without corrosion, without corro- uh, you know, collaborating together on saying, "Well, you say this, we'll say this." They did not. They only said what they saw. And they were truthful. And so when we think about Jericho, uh, we think about the fact that um, it re- re- represents a truth. And that is that if we're going to walk into the true sight, one of the things we have to realize is that we are all have been cursed from our birth. Just like Jericho, we were cursed. By sin. Amen? I mean, we've got to know that. But the problem is, is that if you're caught, caught up in the curse, you can get caught up in the attitude of the fact that, and I've heard people say this, I have done too many bad things for God to save me, or even to care about me. Or, I've even heard this, if I were going to church, it would probably burn down. You have to understand that pride is the driver of both of those statements. Yes, we have to admit that the true work of the law is to bring us a place to realize that we are cursed by sin and beyond cure. That is what Jeremiah says in the 30th chapter, the 12th verse. Your wound is incurable, your injury beyond healing. Absolutely, it's a truth. And so to get an idea of this and to get a picture of this, I thought that I would use the whole optometry science. And so I have a picture that I want to bring uh, to you today. And that is the fact that in the science of the eye, we realize that the picture that we see as it goes through the cornea and the iris and the lens gets flipped upside down. It gets flipped upside down. And, uh, and so my son would, would be up here probably telling you a whole lot more than what I can tell you about this, but I thought this was a simple picture. But that is the interesting thing. The law is holy, and it's true. And its purpose is to flip us upside down from a prideful self-righteousness thinking that we've got this and we can do this on our own and show us for who we really are. To show us that, no, the law is not making us holy. It's actually making us honest with ourselves to see ourselves for who we really are and that is sinful before a holy God. And every single one of us is there but the interesting thing is this, that the brain rein, reinverts that and switches it. Because I'm looking at Sue right now. Sue's not upside down. <laughs> She's right side up. And I don't have to turn my head to see her right side up. I think this, this truth is amazing in respect to the fact that, and I want you to hear Galatians when it says this Galatians 3 13 14. Christ redeems us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Jesus became our curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a pole in Deuteronomy. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ so that by faith we may receive the promise of the Spirit. One of the most destructive things to the church is that people have not gotten this. They thought that somehow intellectually they can understand Jesus. And that by that intellectualism, that actually puts them into salvation. That's why when I went to Reformed Bible College, they said 50% of the people in front of you are not saved. Never forget that. Never forget that. It is not intellectualism that draws us to, to the cross, but it is the realization of our desperate need for Jesus Christ and getting true sight within our heart. This is why Jericho is so important. Being cursed by God, destroyed by Israelites, and rebuilt under a curse, yet in this passage, Jesus Christ is walking into Jericho walking into the midst of the curse so that salvation could come. Now, if you realize, there's going to be some miracles that are going to happen here, right? We got a little short guy, love short people, Zacchaeus, and, now, and, and also these uh, blind men that are before us. You see, Jesus, by the right of his sacrifice, can walk into any level of curse that you're living out today. He will not only walk into it, but he is able to redeem, restore, and transform the curse into a blessing by the power of his great name and the shedding of his blood. The question is, do you believe this? Do you believe this is true? This is what begins to open our eyes to our hearts truly seeing Jesus Christ. Now, there is a difficulty with sight. Or, can I say it another way, a difficulty in believing. See, the, the question is this. Is your heart open to the truth that Jesus can change you from the inside out? When everything visible says it's impossible, can you and do you believe in the God of the impossibility? Do you believe in a God that can take impossibility and make it possible? Your pride will not let you go there. Your pride will keep you in the curse. But Jesus said, I have become cursed so that those who are cursed can become blessed. Do you believe that? As we go on in in, in chapter or in verse twenty nine, it says that a large crowd followed him. Um, you've got to understand, there's a crowd building. We're on our way to Jerusalem, right? We remember that on Palm Sunday there'll be a large crowd of people. Well, what's it building from? One of the things it's building from is because thirteen west, thirteen miles west of Jericho, is um, is Bethel, and if you remember, in Bethel there was somebody raised from the dead. His name was Lazarus. Jesus. Fame was becoming infamous, and people were starting to be drawn to this miracle man. And so um, there was a crowd that was beginning, and it would only continue to, to build. In verse 30, it says that two blind men were sitting by the roadside. It's interesting that both Mark and Luke only record one blind man. Uh, in fact, uh, Mark gives us his name, Bartimaeus, which means son of Tenemaeus. Now, there's t- again, there's two reasons for this. It's not a contradiction. Um, again, going back to forensic investigation, these men were actually seeing, uh, sh- sharing what they saw through the Holy Spirit. But I think the other thing is this. It is said and believed that Bartimaeus became a prominent figure in the, in the early church. And so he would be the name that they would remember years later because he was in front of them and walking with them. And so here it is. He's walking and, uh, and they see these two men and call one out by name. Now, some facts about blindness back in the time was that it was a common disability. Um, It came uh, from various things, whether it was um, uh, uh, injury, but a lot was from birth. I don't know if you know this, but today, doctors will immediately put drops, antibiotic drops, into the eyes of children when they're born babies when they're born. The reason is is because there is a, an infection out of, out of birth that happens that, and that's common. And so they are, um, they are going, uh, you know, they're preventing that today, but they did not have that prevented back then. And so blindness was a common thing. It was also believed that blindness was uh, because of the judgment of God. And so blind people were looked down on uh, and almost like in India where um, under Hinduism where they, see, um, where they see a defect as being the possibility of being leveled up to a higher level. Um, and so people who are, have injuries and have this type of thing, they're not taken care of by people in India because they don't want to get in the way of what the gods are trying to do to increase the people's position. Um, and so there was kind of a, prejudice that came out of this. Now, why was these two blind men in, um, uh, in Jericho? There was a bush in Jericho that was called a balsam bush, and it grew in the region, and they used the oil of it to treat blindness. And so not only would these two men be there, but it would be hundreds of blind people coming to Jericho hoping to be healed by this practice blindness was so common in Jesus day that if you remember he used it as many examples of spiritual ignorance. Matthew 15:14 says leave them alone he says talking about the Pharisees they are blind guides. If the blind leads the blind will will not both fall into a pit. And so blind people, and we know that blind people were considered uh, under judgment because in John chapter 9, the disciples asked when they met the blind man on the road, they said, um, who is it, was it that sin? this man or his parents? And so they saw this as common um, uh, and that it was judgment of God and, uh, and Jesus saw it. So, but these blind men... Uh, We're sitting on the side of the road, verse 30 says, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Now the power of this moment doesn't hit us unless we've done the cross-references of the other passages, the Mark 10 and also the Luke 18. In, In Luke 18, 37, it says these words, they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Jesus of Nazareth was Jesus' geographical human name. It was the name given by the angels to him, but also the name that was his location. And we know that because it says that somebody uh, once said, Well, does anything good come out of Nazareth? Just like uh, we might know that, uh, like when Saul was introduced to us, right, who turned to Paul, they said that he was Saul of Tarsus. Exactly. Exactly. So, this was the name that they were given. But by faith, these blind men saw something that their eyes couldn't see. By faith, they connected the name of Jesus of Nazareth with the Messiah. And they gave him the title that was first given. In uh, 2 Samuel 7, 12-13, says that God promised a Messiah through the line of David. He says in these words as he was telling David about the fact that he would not be building the temple, but that his son would be Solomon. He says, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who built a house in my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever forever prophetically talking about king solomon that would reign on david's throne but going beyond solomon to the coming messiah who would establish the throne forever and then the angel reinforced that in luke 1 32 through 33 when he says i he will be a great man and will be called the son of the most high The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. Your son will become king of Jacob's people forever, and his kingdom will never end. As they saw Jesus for who he was, they did only one thing they cried for mercy. They cried out for mercy. The realization that they had nothing to bring to the table. As a beggar comes to the one giving with nothing to give and back, they came to him begging, and so they cried for mercy. Have you done that? Have I done that? Have I cried for mercy to God by seeing myself for who I really was? It's interesting that in thirty-one, in this, in the midst of this cry of mercy, you can you can feel the racism. the the You're judged. You're lower than. You're nothing. As the crowd in verse thirty-one rebuked them and told them to be quiet. Isn't that amazing? They responded with that kind of attitude. Responded out of that hatred. I wonder if we do that today. Do we see ourselves as superior? Do we see ourselves as somebody that has got it all together and less than? What did they do? They shouted all the more. (laughs) They shouted all the more. We need this attitude today. There's a voice. That is speaking to everyone in this room today to be quiet. And it's even made its way into the church. It's a voice that says, You believe what you believe, and I believe what I believe. You just don't need to be radical about it, just be quiet. And it's a lie. And it is trying to silence us. Some use the phrase cancel culture trying to silence our voice. We need to be a church that has true sight, that cries out all the more for the mercy of our God, for his salvation in this world. There's an old hymn that says these words. Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Let me at the throne of mercy find a sweet relief, kneeling there in deep contrition. Help my unbelief. Trusting only in thy merit, would I seek thy face. Heal my wounded, broken spirit. Save me by thy grace. Thou the spring of all my comfort, more than life to me. Whom have I on earth beside thee? Whom in heaven but thee? The sixth beatitude says these words, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. A pure heart is one that the Spirit of God is working on. These men cried out because they literally were men living in darkness, but had seen a greater light. I had heard somebody say once, um, to somebody who was asking about salvation, and they said, what must I do to be saved? And this guy said, in such a simple way, he said, have you cried out to God? And they said, no. And he said, just cry out to him. Romans ten thirteen says these words. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It is pride that stops us from crying out to God. It's pride who holds us back and says, your sin is too great. It is pride that says, don't. Crawl out, cry out. It's the most humiliating thing to realize we need to cry to the one who is the only answer. Are you willing to walk into that humiliation to cry out to the Lord? As I was studying, I came up with an acronym that doesn't quite work, but at least in in, in exact words, but the word pride. People resisting in the light of deadly evidence. Pride. Are we resistant to the call on God? Are we resistant? Now, you have to understand something. We don't see it in this passage, but in Mark 10, this blind man, Bartimaeus, when he heard Jesus, when he heard that Jesus was coming by and he cried out, Jesus, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus then called out in this passage, it called out to him, and in the other passages, he actually had some of his disciples go, or some of the people with him say, go and get him. When Bartimaeus heard this, listen to me, when Bartimaeus heard this, it says that he threw his cloak aside and got up and went. Now you gotta understand the significance of that. He threw everything he owned away. To go to see Jesus. Because he saw him for who he was. He threw it all away. Now if you remember there's a couple of parables that Jesus talks about. Um, The treasure that was found on a piece of land and he buried it. The man buried it and went, went and bought the piece of land. The pearl of great price that was found. Is that who Jesus is to us? Is he so important to us that we're willing to throw everything aside? Some of us in this room, he had to bring us to a place where he took everything away from us so that we could see him. But are we willing to throw it all aside, all aside for him? In verse uh, 32, it says, Jesus stopped and called to them, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? I love the question. I love the question. Because these men had come to a place where they saw Jesus as being the true healer. And they said this, we want you to give us our sight. Why? Because they just wanted to be healed? Because they wanted to see who they already saw? Do you want to see Jesus? Are you looking forward to the day that you see him face to face? I think most of the time I hear people saying, you know, I want to go to heaven because I want to see so-and-so, my, my, my parents, or I want to see my, those people that have gone before me. But do I want to go to heaven because I want to see the one who has given me sight? I think it's a great question to ask. I want to see Jesus. The older, the, get, the older I get, the more I'm drawn to that. I want to see Jesus. I think it's interesting that they were in Jericho probably to see if they could be healed by the balsam bush doctors. And yet, they realized that Jesus was the true healing. They realized that Jesus was true healing. In verse 34, it says here, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and did what? Followed him. That's a huge indicator. In Luke 18, it says these words, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Now there's been people that have taken that out of context. There is a Greek word for healing, physical healing. This is not here. This word, healing, is the Greek word for salvation. I find it interesting that the physical healing for them was secondary to the spiritual healing. I find it fascinating that that God had so opened himself up in their heart that they did they, they turned from the balsam doctors, not because they, they necessarily thought they would be physically healed, but because spiritual healing was more important to them. And you know it's true, because they followed Jesus. And as we've heard, the possibility that Bartimaeus himself was a very... Um, uh, um, important man and and somebody who was in uh, the early church. I think there's an important thing here. I remember a time in my life and I know there's some of you that might even be in that place in this room where I thought that if I was healed from my addiction, that my life would just automatically get better. And so I remember my prayer was, Lord, just, just heal this addiction. Just heal this physical circumstance. But true healing never came until I realized that real healing is in relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen to me. Can the temptation of your addiction continue for the rest of your life? In the midst of the fact, and your circumstances not change physically, in the midst of the reality that you have true sight in Jesus Christ. Now, that's contradictory in the thought process of a materialistic world because we know that really, without true healing on the outside and true blessing on the outside, we've been taught that God doesn't really exist and that prosperity Christianity has taught us That if what doesn't happen out here doesn't happen, then then he must not be in here. And that's not true. I have found more healing from from my following Jesus Christ and accepting the true healing in my heart than I ever did by trying to get healing on the outside. He is the true healer. He may leave the physical thing in place for the rest of your life. Whatever that might mean. It doesn't mean acting out. It means that the temptation might be there for the rest of your life. And he may not heal your physical ailment. But if he's healed your heart, are you okay with that? Prosperity says no. No. No, it's got to all be okay here. I know some people that are walking as believers today and depression is still something they deal with on a daily basis. Can you find joy in the midst of that? I know some people in this room that have family members that are far away from them. If God never heals that, are you okay because he is your true sight? If your circumstances never change, are you okay with that? Because you have true sight in Jesus Christ. Answer it. Because transformation is not happening what happens from the outside in. It's what happens inside out. Is my heart seeing Jesus Christ? And does that change everything? It has to. Even if nothing changes out here. Because quite honestly, people, the Bible doesn't give us really great future thought on what's going to happen in this world. Things are going to go from opposite of evolution from bad to worse. Are you okay with that because of Jesus? If your mom and dad never come back and say, I'm sorry. If circumstances never change. Are you okay with Jesus? Because faith that heals you is true sight in your heart. That's real faith, and that's real healing. So I hope during this time that you have been able to visualize the two beggars. I hope that you have actually put yourself in their seat on the street of hopelessness, wondering how many more days of blindness we have to go through. And I pray that you're in their place that a bright light has hit your heart. And that that bright light is Jesus Christ. And he has touched your heart to the point that it doesn't matter what happens in this world. What matters is Jesus. We live in a time where blindness is increasing. A famine has hit this land, and it has nothing to do with food. It has everything to do with the Word of God. Some of you know I'm telling you the truth because this is the first time you've opened up the Word since last Sunday. There is a famine in the land and a blindness that's increasing. Unless we as Americans get a vision of Jesus, I fear for the future of this country. I think this passage is significant because it is a picture of what true sight can be in a person's life. You know, the first thing is the blind men seeing Jesus Christ in their heart cried out for mercy because they saw their sin and they were under the judgment of God according to the law and they needed mercy. What about you? Second, this passage is significant because we see Jesus does not ignore blind people. Even on the way to the cross, his love and his mercy was such in his compassion. There's no one too far gone for Jesus. There's no one too blind for Jesus. Do you understand that? You who are sitting isolated, thinking that he does not see you, he sees you. And even on the way to the cross, he so loves you that he has stopped today. Do you see him? He does not ignore blind people. He says, come to me, all who are wearing heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Third, we see a Messiah. Messiah with compassion, and he cares about the hurting and lost sinners. And fourth, we see a Messiah who has absolute power over diseases, yet he has come not just to heal physical healing, but he's come to save and to seek the lost. I think these are amazing I think this is amazing, significant that these two men are sitting on the side of the road. And I think we need to see how this relates to our life today. What are steps of true sight for the true God? First of all, here Isaiah 40 said this in the 26th verse, Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brought out the starry host one by one and called forth each one of them by name. Let creation open your eyes to the truth. Second, repent of your turning away. I found it interesting that Isaiah 45, says this in the King James Version, Look unto me and be saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. And in the NIV, they have translated the look to me to this. Turn to me and be saved. All you ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. If you see Jesus, repent. Repent. Third, give yourself freely. Or the freedom to visualize God's call in your life. The world will continue to call you to worry about your existence. God calls you to focus on obeying him. Matthew 6, 31 through 33 says these words, So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them but seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given unto you. Oswald Chambers says this, if people, people who cannot visualize God's call will never put down roots where they're planted. Isn't that amazing? You've seen the struggle. So have I. So look to creation. Repent. Give yourself the freedom to visualize God's call in your life. And fourth, obey your vision. Obey your vision. The apostle Paul, in talking to one of the king, King Agrippa, said this. This is what His vision was to him, as Jesus talking to him, says, I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. Everyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ has a vision from heaven. Don't be disobedient to it. Don't let the world drag you away into what is safe and comfortable. But let God's vision for your life lead you. So who put the stars in place? And who, um, who is the one you need to look to or turn to? It's Jesus He is the one that gives you freedom to visualize your life more than what it could be on this earth, to be a life that's called to do what you're doing. Listen to him. Don't let the things of this world distract you from the call and obey the vision. People, we all do that together. Division Street would not be the same. Would not be the same. Would not be the same. God's called us here for a reason. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was but now I'm found was Wide. but now I see, do you? do you see? I do. Paul prayed that their hearts may be enlightened to the hope they have. Amen. Amen, Amen. Amen. stand with me and pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for the reality uh, of you being here. I thank you, Father, for the fact that you are God of our lives and that there are those in this room that see that very clearly. Not because of intellectualism, but because of the fact that originally you shined into each one of their hearts. Thank you, Lord, that... Not only did you shine, but now we get the privilege and honor to read your word, knowing it's directly from you, and that, Father, our, the grace and knowledge that we grow in is because of our relationship with you. Father, I pray that you will bless the hearts and minds of these people, that they will see uh, their great need for you. And that, Father, even if 40, 50, 60 years they've been in the church, that their heart still, still cries out to you for mercy. You said that. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and unsearchable things that you cannot know. Father, let us not look for the things primarily that we can see, but let we look for the things that are only seen through our relationship with you. Bless our hearts today not to be caught up in, um, in the things, in the walls, and in, the, in, in the, the struggles that are going on in front of me right now in our hearts because we are, can't get past the curse. But Lord, may our hearts realize that you, as the eye inverts, Yes, there's a curse, but as the brain reinverts that, Lord Jesus Christ, you have become our curse so that we could become blessed, that you have become our sin, the one who knew no sin, so that we could become the righteousness of God. Lord, let that reality come to someone today. For Jesus said to, the, said to those who were listening, your righteousness must surpass that of the intellectual righteousness of the Pharisees. Let it be the revelation righteousness in Jesus Christ that changes each of our hearts. We love you and we trust you. In the name of your son Jesus, I pray. Amen.